Welcome to Spotlight, the Allison H. Larson Show. If you're ready for inspiration and tips to improve your life, hear what some of the fascinating minds of today have to say. Our hope is that you'll live your passion and inspire the world. And now, here is your host, Allison H. Larson. Good morning, everybody. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. We've got our Thanksgiving week show today, and uh, I've got a special guest for you coming up today. We're going to be talking about addictions and childhood trauma. Uh, this is particularly interesting to me. It's something that I've seen a, a lot of people that I know that struggle with addiction seem to have some kind of trauma that happened to them, and uh, this seems to be, you know, their addiction seems to be some kind of escape. Um, today, I have specialist Michael Odin, who is helping people overcome their addiction by helping them to deal with their childhood traumas, figure out what needs that they have in their life that they're trying to to fill basically with drugs and alcohol um, and helping them to fill those in other ways uh, so that they can beat their addiction. Uh, Michael, are you there? I'm here. Great to have you today, Michael. you know, what I what I like to do very first off the bat on my show with my guests every week is to have them brag a little bit about themselves. So I know you've created a program, and I'd just mm-hmm. like you to tell our listeners what you've created and what you've done in your life. I give you total permission to brag right now. Oh, yeah, well... Now that you talk about the uh, the topic of addiction and drug and alcohol dependency and abuse and uh, behavior that go along those lines, uh, I had the I don't call it the fortunate opportunity, but I had the opportunity to interview over eight thousand five hundred people with this problem. Wow! And what I did is I decided to find out what the common denominator was, and I also decided to I needed to write a book about it. We called When Nobody's Home. So hold on, you, you have interviewed you know, over eight thousand people that have struggled with. Yeah addictions and abuse is that right yes. okay That's and right. then you decided to write right. a book about it okay what well, what yeah, did you what did right. you find and the book was called when nobody's home okay. and when you mentioned childhood trauma everything starts at home and i noticed that 95% of those 8500 people or more that i've talked to were missing a parent or the parent was not involved in their lives or there was abuse from the parent or they could be abandoned right in front of them so there was a lot of pain and hurt mm-hmm. along those lines and I noticed the clients used other methods to cope with the pain or loss of that main person that they really wanted in their life. So you've basically developed a program that helps people overcome that pain. Yeah. And by yeah. dealing with that pain and overcoming the pain, then exactly. other areas of their life benefit. Well, that's amazing. Right. You know, later on in the show, we're going to talk mm-hmm. a little bit more about what you do. I want you to actually share some tips with our listeners. Uh, but okay. right now, I want to talk a little bit more about you, Michael. I mean, mm-hmm. I, this is something I always ask people, you know, do you just wake up one day when you were five or six and think, hey, I want to help people overcome? their childhood drama. I mean, how did you get to do this? What What was your journey and your path? Uh, what What sparked your passion for being able to do this? Well, I come from a family of 11. I'm a twin. Okay. So a family I'm, I'm of 11, where do you fit in there? I'm right smack dab in the middle with so, a dominating twin. Okay. So you have a twin that's older than you and you're right in the middle. No, no, no. Excuse me. I'm older by 13 minutes. You're older, but why is he dominating? What do you mean by that? I don't know. You know, that's the role we play. Oh, okay. Right? Okay. So I didn't say anything for the first 14 years of my life because he said it for me. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's what happened. I said I didn't come out of my shell until like high school. So you're a middle child. That, you have a twin that does all the talking for you. You don't talk for 14 years of your life. Word, okay. Vocabulary limited. Right. And on top of that, we had foster children in our home, 173 over a 13-year period. I can relate so to that. boys in the home. I grew up. I grew up with a lot of foster foster brothers and sisters, so I can relate yeah. to that. All right. Yeah. That's so what, my that's mother's helping these individuals out there in our home. We have mm-hmm. eight of those. So there's sixty. So there's, there's a lot of things going on, and I think my sister always tells me I was, I was always watching, and I'm the guy who always put out the fires. I always wanted to make sure everybody was kind of okay, that the environment was safe. So and you were like sort of you were like the peacemaker. Yeah, I'm the peacemaker. Exactly, okay. I'm the peacemaker. Make sure everything's okay. And so you go. So then I leave for college, and I do my journey, and I've come out to be an actor in L.A. I studied for like ten years. Wow, that's crazy! Hold on here. So you go from barely talking middle child to being an <laughs> actor in L.A. What, what? Okay, just take me through that mental process a little bit. Was was it like one of those things where you like, okay, I didn't talk for the first fourteen years of my life. I want attention. I'm going to be an actor. What what happened there? You know, I, uh, I, I didn't think of those things, but I knew I, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do in life. Uh-huh. 
and I was still finding my way. I, you know, I, I drove all the way from New Jersey to Arizona. I studied in a small pond, and I've got about 80 productions under my belt, mm-hmm. and monologues, all that sort of thing. Because I just wanted to, to be to maybe play, you know, that sort of thing, or, or just be able to express myself in another way where I couldn't in my normal self, we'll call it. Wow. Well, you know, and that makes perfect sense because acting is a way that you can express yourself without really being yourself. You, exactly. you can be somebody else. Exactly. Got it. Okay. Yes. That makes <laughs> so sense. So I come to L.A. and I become a substitute teacher in the juvenile halls. Oh, Wow. So now I meet these 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 gangbangers, these people who've been arrested in the juvenile world, so, and so, I do that. So hold on. So did you become a substitute teacher because you were, really weren't making money with the acting, or how did you do? Oh yeah. You do that? So you're, <laughs> yeah, so you're yeah, just I like I'm not making it. any money, so I'm maybe a sub teacher. <laughs> Nobody else is gonna you know sub in these detentional you know centers. So you you started doing that. Well, I, I did that because you're right on track. Instead of instead of waitressing, I decided to be a sub. Okay. Okay, so to, to support my habit. Uh, to support the acting, got it. So, right, so some, so four years later, somebody asked me, do you want to be a probation officer? I said, why would I want to do that? Because I, I saw what happens, and then mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about it. He says, and here's what got me. He says, no, you work the weekend shift at the camps, and you get Monday through Friday off, and you can still audition. Oh, I said, where do okay. I sign up? Okay. So this was so all, so years. still you were, you were doing this to support acting and exactly. make a living. Okay. Yes. So you became and a probation. And then one day, um, and so when I, so as I, uh, but even before that, my son threw up on me on an audition and I decided I needed to do things differently. Hmm. So my white pants turned red with grape juice. So why was your son there with you on your audition? I was visiting during the summer. Oh, okay. So he, so he lived in another state. So you, you want to talk about fatherless children? I mean, you know, we can go in that with my experience with that. Okay, so you, know? you you had a child living in different state. You're there in an audition. He's there with you. Um, yeah, he's there for the summer. We're visiting me. I'm, yeah, he's on my hip. Okay, how old was he? Three. Three years old. He throws up on your white pants. They're now red. Your white pants are at audition. <laughs> okay. Yes. All right. <laughs> so I said, "Wow, I need to start rethinking this." Mm-hmm. And this is where I decided to. Um, uh, take the job as a probation officer. Okay. And then I, I do the camps, and then I get promoted, then I come out into the field. Now, on, in, in the early 90s, there's a, there's a, uh, a, a program called Prop 36, because instead of putting people in jail for drug and alcohol use and selling, let's have treatment for them. It's called Prop 36. And it was at that time, um, I got that caseload. I had about 300 file that were untouched for a year and that was my laboratory that's where i started the book okay yeah and i was learning behavioral methods about myself i was learning all kinds of techniques and that sort of thing i was applying to my client and i saw oh this is working so now i'm really understanding why they started using drugs and alcohol for long periods of time so what was it what was and, that what was that aha moment or or what did you what did you start discovering if you could sum it up into one or two sentences what was it that you I, found I, from I, those case files when I, I had a need sheet and the need sheets are, are are what we try to obtain in a given situation so that's a need so in other words what are we getting out of by what we're doing okay so give me give me an ex- hold on give me an example of that so when a you need, say need, a need sheets would be you need something like um, bonding a uh, need for physical affection, and here, here's a big need, affection, um, mm-hmm. a need, uh, being hurt is a need, understanding is a need. So okay. you, you're going through these case files, and you're looking at these people that have had this struggle with drugs and alcohol and, right. and probation, and you're finding that some of the things that they feel like they need that they weren't getting were affection, um, exactly. being heard, uh, physical touch. Okay. Does right. That makes, sense? that makes sense. So you start yeah. noticing a pattern here, which is what? Exactly. And that's where it all began. I said, my God, it's not the drug. It's what they didn't get. Hmm. Interesting. And when you have a hundred and something needs and you can write down half of them, now I see how much pain you're in. Wow. So the, the list was a hundred and something, and most of these people that were struggling with addiction were writing down half of what was on the or list? Or more. I mean, some of them, just write, if, if, if that parent wasn't there, basically you highlight the whole page. Yeah. I, and wow. I'd say to them, i say this one thing, this is your life on paper. So for the first time, they can actually see what they didn't get and from whom and how it impacted them. 
Wow. So, so a lot of the times, you know, and this is really interesting. I want to pause here and, and pull this out. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people start having a certain behavior, whether it be an addictive behavior or whatever kind of uh behavior that they have, whether it be destructive mm-hmm. or constructive, a lot of times right. that is to fill a need. There's a hole, yeah. there's something. And this is yeah. interesting to me. It's something that I've taught for a long time. You, there's no human behavior. People don't do things um, with the idea that there's going to be destruction in mind. They don't purposely exactly. do things to hurt themselves. They're doing things because they get some kind of benefit out of it. There is some kind of advantage for them. So these people that are doing drugs and alcohol, the advantage was that they would do the drugs and alcohol so that they could numb the pain from from that they have from not getting what they need. Is that kind of the, it's like, oh, that's, that's amazing. So you're sitting there with these case files and what do you, what do you do with that kind of information once you realize that? Well, I started documenting. I said, because there was more to it than calling somebody an addict. There's more to it than calling someone uh, sick in the mind. There's more to it than saying you'll never recover. I said, no, I can't. I, 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 I have a difficult time accepting that. Right. They can change once they understand where it comes from and what, how much pain they're in and what needs were never met. And, and just to let you know, I was keeping records over that seven years, and 85% of my clients stopped using because of that. Whoa, hold on, because, you know, the normal success rate for somebody who is an addict going into a recovery program, or maybe I should say failure rate is like phenomenal. It's like over 80% of people are going to relapse and use drugs again. But what you're saying is with your program and, and what you were doing, you found that the success success rate was 85%. Yeah, yeah, I kept, I kept, I kept records of that because I wanted to see what was really going on. And I noticed that once you understood where the pain comes from and we actually had some acceptance around it and empathy around, you know, the, the parent who wasn't there, so you can unload the burden of carrying all the guilt and shame that, you, that the person created, they, they had an, actually they had a higher uh, um, chance of, of being successful and just stopping. They just stopped because they, they didn't have to run and hide anymore through the alcohol or drug use. So... I like those ideas, and I want to explore those a little bit more just to, okay. to help us understand what you really do. So, so this idea of having empathy and compassion mm-hmm. for the parent that wasn't there. So what right. you found was there was a lot of anger when somebody was feeling like a parent wasn't there to fill their needs. Yeah. And how do, you, how do you have compassion and empathy for someone who wasn't there for you? Here we go. So this is, the, this is probably 50 to 60% of the emotional burden people carry with them. Why didn't my, did my parent not show up? Why did they neglect me? Why did they say the things they said to me? And all I do is this. I say this. How were they raised? Hmm. Who said what to them? Do they know any better that what they're saying to you is hurting you? So once you understand where they come from, you can go, wow, they didn't know. No, they didn't. Yeah. And the things you want to get from them, they don't have the ability to give to you because they'd have no idea. And they, too, themselves are in pain. So, and basically, you're paying for the pain. So you're talking about absent parents, but I want to ask, does this work for parents that were present? I mean, I know a lot mm-hmm. of people who are struggle with drug and alcohol addiction, and they have both parents present growing up, but maybe they had another traumatic situation or maybe, you know, and I'm a parent. I know I don't fill all my kids' needs. I'm only human. You know, I'm trying the best <laughs> I can. But does, does this work Does this work with uh, with parents that are present or, or people oh, in your life? Oh, here's present? the question because people say that too. Well, I had a two-parent home. I said, well, how was it in the house? Mm-hmm. Who said what to you in the house? I've had, I've had clients who are doctors who'd come home and, and walk by their client or my client or, the, the, or their son or child and ignore them. And the, the child would go, well, why isn't he talking to me? So that's it. And he's, and, and he's very upset mm-hmm. because my parents, he's not, he's, not make, he's not meeting my needs for connection, bonding, communication or anything. So guess what? I'm going to go find that somewhere else. Hmm. Yeah. So if you can under if all you, so if you can understand the parent who's in the house why they are unable to meet your needs, then you can actually have more empathy. You can still have empathy for them, meaning that wow, you have no idea, dad or mom, usually both dad in this case, that you don't know how to connect because guess what? Your probably your father probably didn't connect with you. And here's the big thing I discovered is that if I give you food, shelter, right, and water, then I'm doing really good as a parent. 
So we're talking Maslow's hierarchy, and most parents, well, you know, and especially in the United States today, and this is where the foster system comes in and things, but pretty much every child has somewhat, mostly an opportunity, almost every child, to have food and shelter and water and things like that, whether Mm -hmm. it be through their parent or through somebody else, uh, pretty much. I mean, I know there's got to be some exceptions to the rule, but in in first world countries, that's something Mm -hmm. that's pretty usual. But uh, what we're saying is let's go up further up Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which means that now our, our physiological needs are being met and our, our need for love and affection and self-acceptance. And, and uh, so, so sometimes parents do the best they can, but they're still down low on that pyramid thinking, well, I'm taking care of the physical needs of my children. What more? So you help them, help them see what needs maybe weren't met in those other areas. Very, yeah. uh, very interesting stuff. So tell me, what what is something that, and we probably all have issues that we can think back to in childhood, some kind of <laughs> needs that weren't met. So for those people listening, whether you're struggling as an addict or not, right. what is one mm-hmm. thing that we all can do in our lives to help figure out, because whether it's addiction or some other kind of destructive behavior, I'm sure pretty much everybody's dealing with something that they want to improve. How, how can someone go back and really identify if maybe there's a need that wasn't filled as a child and, and what do they do mm-hmm. about it? Well, so I'll give you a statistic. If, if 96% of the families in America have a form of dysfunction, that means a lot of us have a scar on it, some emotional scar. Right. Some deeper than others. So here's what happens. So what you can do is basically you're going to have to take a step back and go, why am I behaving this way? Or why, why does a certain emotion show up? So remember, when you have a need being met or not met, another certain emotion shows up. Okay? So if, if something shows, if that need is not met, at home, then you can ask yourself, well, what am I not getting from the people I want to get it from? What need am I not, and why can't they meet that need? So once you understand that, wow, my, my father is not, does, does not have the ability to bond with me or ask me any questions about myself or, or, or connect, let's put it that way, let's at least connect. Therefore, I am upset because, because I, like, I would like a more um, close relationship or intimate relationship with my father, but he can't meet that need. So, we just, so that's where the empathy comes in. So that alone, you, you're off the hook because it's not what you did. He's off the hook because he doesn't know any better because he, no one taught him. And therefore, it's just understanding the, the, the environment that each person grew up in so they can go, wow, everybody's doing the best they can. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, then, and, then, and then we add to that, and here's the one last thing is that now we don't have to personalize it. Yeah. And that's big. I like that because when you when you make when it's personal, then you're a victim. There's always a victim. Exactly. There's always a perpetrator, mm-hmm. right? And right. Uh, when you depersonalize it, it takes the victimhood out of it. You know, you can now right. say, okay, no one's a victim, no one's a perpetrator. This is what it is. Now let's deal with the situation. Great advice. Right. More great advice from Michael Odin coming up. I want to get more into your story. Uh, make sure during this break, if you haven't already, pull out a pen, pull out a sheet of paper, pull out your phone, your computer, whatever you want to write on. Coming up next. Next, we're going to hear some more great tips from Michael on how to beat addictions and really overcome any kind of destructive behavior by uh, addressing and dealing with those childhood traumas. Don't go anywhere. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Have you ever checked out In the Limelight with Clarissa Burt? You don't know what you're missing. Clarissa has a great circle of friends and influencers. How do you live a model life? Find out when Clarissa puts her amazing guests and engaging topics under the spotlight. We'll talk with the masters from art, science, food, health, finance, beauty, and business. You really can't miss a single show. Join us every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. 
It's time to unlock some of the best kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. Are you ready for provocative discussions with some of today's most powerful movers and shakers? Tune in to The Art of Significance, featuring Dan Clark, the modern-day Napoleon Hill, who interviews the wealthiest, most successful celebrities and business leaders on the planet who are using their influence to change the world. From authors to entertainers, sports figures, educators to military leaders, Dan covers multiple topics. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You're tuned in to Spotlight, the Allison H. Larson Show. To find out more about Allison and our program, please visit soulintuition.com. Again, that's soulintuition.com. Now back to Spotlight. Here is Allison H. Larson. Welcome back. I'm here with Michael Odin, who is sharing with us his journey of how he really developed and created a program that's helping people that struggle with addiction and uh, really destructive behavior that comes from having traumatic childhood experiences. Michael, one thing that I found interesting, kind of left off on your story, how you grew up in the smack dab in the middle of 11 kids, you were a twin, you know, you had a dominant twin that spoke for you, you decided to get into acting, moved to LA, really got into what you're doing now because you were trying to support that acting habit. I wanted to point something out here because I think this is this is really important. You know, you always hear the saying, well, you know, when a door closes, a window opens, or, you know, mm-hmm. um, sometimes God, you know, helps redirect you in your life. And, uh, do you feel like that's what happened to you? Do you feel like, you know, you started out with one purpose uh, moving to L.A. and really found your purpose and what you were doing and something that maybe you never even imagined or never even knew about uh, just because you were kind of redirected or relead? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I never really try to force issues. I, like I tell my class, we want to go to school. You, you can't go to school unless you take your first step and just walk in the hallways and find out what you want to do. So in life, I just drove and I said, this is what I want to do. And if that doesn't work out, something else will show up. And something always has. That showed up. Probation showed up. You know, everything showed up. Mm-hmm. And I, I just kept walking. And I plucked the fruit that was in front of me. Yeah. And I know, I know I didn't make it as an actor, which is okay, but I learned so much on that journey. You know, how to speak in front of people. Um, how to get rejected. You know, how to not take that person. How not to personalize that. You know? And I, I'll be honest with you. You know, there was times where I made a, a complete ass of myself in an audition. Yeah. You well, know, well you learn from it. I, I like I like your attitude in that it wasn't hey I failed in this it was I learned and it was part of my journey and it helped me yeah. find what I was you know really meant to do and what I'm doing mm-hmm. now so mm-hmm. what a what a great attitude to have and I think that's something that we can pull out of your journey too you know mm-hmm. and, and where's where's the balance here's here's kind of a side question I'm going to go down a rabbit hole for just a second here a squirrel moment as I like to call it um, <laughs> so. So what would you say to somebody? I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people are told, just focus on your goal. Just go for it. One focus. Don't get distracted. I mean, you obviously had this focus with acting, but and you were even started this route to support that habit. But at what point do you say, okay, well, this, it might be time to redirect my focus now. What was that, what was that moment for you when you knew it was time to shift? Well, as I mentioned before, is when I took my three-year-old on an audition and he was sick. And then he, you know, threw up on my leg, and that's when that's when the click where I had to redirect something. And what, I, I, why I, I that to, moment, though? What was it in that moment? Well, I, I just think because you know, you, when when you're an actor, you really want that's what you really want to do. You you, you worked at it, you, you studied, you, you know, did all these performances, and you go on, you do all the stuff to get that to to get that dream to fulfill that dream of being an actor. And and it, 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 it's intoxicating. It's like yeah, you know, when someone applauds you, and someone can say what great work you did. You know, it's a wonderful experience to have. 
However, I was grounded when my son made, made me say, uh, you need to rethink this, Dad, you know, indirectly or spiritually, however you want to put it. Mm-hmm. So, and that, that was okay with me because I know being a father was really important. And I know he, he needs me, and it's okay for me to put the acting on the back burner and put him in the front seat. Wow. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and I think that's great that you had that wake-up call, that moment, yeah. uh, that redirecting. So where mm-hmm. we left off, you were working in probation. You had studied all these right. case files. You were realizing that people had needs that weren't being fulfilled, and these were the people mm-hmm. that were struggling. So mm-hmm. where did you go from there? What did what did you do? I mean, you're a published author today. You have a whole program you've created. Mm-hmm. How did you do that? Yeah. Yeah, so from there, um, I, I, I took notes over the years, and I condensed it, and I created a book called When Nobody's Home, because that was the common denominator of probably of 95% of the clients. There was nobody home. Mm-hmm. And the main person who wasn't home that, with the study that I did were, were fathers. And I noticed the, the, this is where the boys would get shortchanged or emotionally stuck or stunted because of that. Where most families, it's the mother who stays to raise the kids, so the girls or the women have a role model or someone they're going to become later on in life, where the boys look over to their side and they don't have anybody. So then they're left sort of you know, navigating the world you know, loosely or, or, or in a way that, that there's no plan. Okay? So, so when I wrote the book, When Nobody's Home, I wanted to put my experiences and give people information how needs are not met, you know, what happens when a parent's not home, we're not judging them, accepting them, understanding why drug use in this case becomes a major um, contributor to the decisions you make. You know, I you just know, got... And there's, and, and there's no right or wrong either. Well, I just got the chills when you said, when you, when you were describing that, because I thought, you know, your research really led you to help people understand how important it is for fathers to be present for their kids. Yeah. And it was yeah. your, your son... And the experience with him that helped you redirect, you know, to even yes. find that. So, you yeah. know, I, I, I see things like that, and I think, you know, there are no coincidences. Uh, I believe in divine intervention, and that was <laughs> one of those moments. So, uh-huh. so you wrote this book, um, mm-hmm. and then you developed a program, right? So, t- talk I to me a little. Talk to me a little bit uh, about this program in the book. Well, the pro- the program I created is called the needs based method. You know, and basically it's a therapeutic process that is used to uncover the truth behind a specific behavior. And the process, and what we do is we empower the individual to understand the, you know, the reasons why or the genesis of the emotions and the behavior you know, that, that may arise when a specific need is met or not in the moment. In other words, and I'm going to simplify this because we're all kind of, you know, fancy with the language is that I just, I'm trying to get you to understand why you do what you do. Okay, so, and, oh, go ahead. And what needs are being met in that moment or not met in that moment? Okay, so are you are you willing to walk us through a live scenario right here? Sure. Okay, Why so not? so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna offer myself as the guinea pig. Okay. I, I'm, okay. I'm not gonna admit any major addictions right now, but no. I do I do bite my fingernails. <laughs> this is something. Okay. I mean, I'm so, th- thir- okay, so 30, listen, 38 years old. My mom's like, "Why are you still biting your fingernails?" I'm like, "I don't know." I, I mean, but I I know that it, there's some kind of uh, payoff for me for doing that. There's got to be some Mary. kind of something because that's a destructive behavior. Okay, so walk walk right. me through this. Help me help me help me solve this okay. problem here. Beautiful. Okay. Oh, how funny my mom is calling me live right now if you hear like i just said my mom seriously we have esp in our family she's like i'm on the live feed if you guys saw a pause in there it's because my mom was calling me we're talking about her and she's like literally calling me i don't know if she's listening to the show mom if you're listening to the show i promise i won't blame it on you okay ready let's go fingernails here's how it works okay there's a need being met by you biting your nails okay okay you're getting something out of it you just don't know what it is so what we're going to do is we're going to go behind the scenes and try to pick where it started why it started and, and, and okay. what, and why that's so beneficial for you to do so. So here's okay. my first question to you is this, when did you start biting your nails? Oh gosh, I was like probably four or five years old. Oh, okay, so forever. here's my question. My next question is, what was going on in your house at four or five? 
Oh, gosh, that's a good question. So, you know, uh, my my parents both worked. My mom worked as a school teacher, so she would leave at like mm-hmm. 6.30 in the morning. My dad would get me ready for school. Um, mm-hmm. I would come home from school, and nobody would be there because my dad was a newscaster, so he'd go to, to work at like 2.30, come home at like 11.30 at night. My mom would get home shortly after I got home. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I started preschool, kindergarten right around that time, and that was kind of that my dad would get me ready in the morning. I'd go come home you know uh, I'm sure somebody was there I, I don't remember who but then my mom would get home later and then my my dad eventually I probably wouldn't see him till the next day so that was kind of what's going on I'm the oldest of five I'm sure mm-hmm. right when I was four or five I think but the fourth child was being born some something like that right so 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 here's the pattern I already see okay you're the oldest yes right and what's the title of my book when nobody's home there you go so okay. there's nobody, there's nobody yeah. home yeah. for you uh-huh. to get that. We call it, we'll call it predictability. Okay. Okay. So at, at the age of four, you are in your identity mm-hmm. stage and mm-hmm. your uh, the stage where you do things, where, where, you, where, you, where you say I can, a competent okay. stage. Okay. Yeah. So in those, so in those stages, you're wondering, well, who's going to show up next for me on a consistent basis? And so what you had, I'm. I'm not, this is, I'm, we're guessing here because I don't know you that well, but we're doing it live. This is wonderful. So what happens is, is that you're probably looking for that, for that stimulus or, or for that uh, connection with somebody. Hmm. Interesting. So the nails may be something did what for you? It's like soothing or comforting or, you Exactly. Know, yeah. It's soothing or comforting. Hmm. Interesting. It gave you something to focus on as opposed to focusing on what wasn't there. Hmm. Very, very okay. interesting. So, so what do I do about this? I'm still struggling since I'm 38 years old. Oh. I, I don't okay. live with my so, parents. So here's what we do. We have to give your parents a break. And what were they trying to do? What were they trying to do? Well, yeah, they well, were just were they, they were just providing a living. Exactly. Know, they were providing pay, a living. care of their kids. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, mm-hmm. so here's my thing. So what weren't they doing? Uh, well, n- nurturing. Watch it. Watch it. <laughs> right. Well, watch this. No, they weren't abandoning you. Yeah. Oh, they weren't abandoning me. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that's true. They were that's making true. a living. Yeah. A lot of my clients, I have clients because I work, the parents work all the time. There's nobody home. They're still being, in, I call it unintentional abandonment. Huh. Interesting. But unintentional. They're just trying to make a living, but, you know, there's price to pay for that sometimes. Yeah. So you, the little girl, going, well, so where are my caretakers? So what we may do is we invite our nails to distract, right, to focus on something else, right? Mm-hmm. But this is what you do. You, you give your four-year-old a break. You let her know that they weren't abandoning. They were just trying to make, they were making a living. They're trying to provide a life for you. It was nothing personal, what they were doing. Wow. That's, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty powerful. I'm just, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, how would you, you know, recreate this with maybe a teenager that's struggling with drugs or something? And I can totally see that, you know, they're they're feeling like they're, someone's not there for them. They're feeling maybe unloved or abandoned. They turn right. to drugs or alcohol, and it's just helping mm-hmm. them know, hey, you know, it's not that we don't love you or that we're abandoning you. It's that here's what we're doing. We're trying to make a living. We're trying to take care of you. We're trying right. to – very, very powerful. Well, interesting. And when was, so, so here's what you do. Here's okay. what you do. You do this. You also, so we, a lot, well, this is what a lot of people do. They're okay. blaming, shaming, and criticizing and judging themselves for that. Right. So in other words, they make it all up. I'm, I'm the bad kid for them not to be there. I'm not good because they're not there. Because I don't believe I'm valued. They don't, I'm not heard. And I'm not needed. And all those things. And it's all made up. In your case, it was just it was a, it was a belief system you created. Right. And guess what? You, you don't need it anymore. So how do I so get rid of it? Your, so talk to your five-year-old and say, Mom and Dad were not there at that moment because they were making a living, too, right? Mm-hmm. Understand, and and we can do that a little deeper. We can understand what needs weren't being met at that time, but four or five when they were gone. So your need for public connection, right? Maybe predictability, stability, right? So we we can so we can look we, we can look at those needs that weren't met at that time, and say, wow, so that's what I didn't get at that time while they were working. Maybe touch, physical affection, maybe tenderness. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if we didn't get that, right. So then we understand why we didn't get it, and it was unintentional. So, guess, so, you can, so again, we can take your parents off the hook, or we can take you off the hook. Hmm. 
So is it important to replace that? Say, say you know, I want to stop biting my nails. Obviously, I felt like there was something that I wasn't getting. Is this just a habit, do you think? Whereas, you know, if I, if I tell my four or five-year-old self, you know, it's okay, I have some empathy, um, some understanding, this is a problem that's going to go away, or does it need to be fill, filled by something else? No, you can. You can stop it because you don't need to fill that anymore with the, with the nail biting. So, so what you're saying was this was a need that is no uh, that is no longer serving me a purpose because exactly. I've gotten rid of that. Okay, right. When it doesn't serve you anymore, you're like, oh god, I, I, I'm not getting the same effect I used to get. So if someone and, and, and you'll sense that. So if someone's struggling with drugs or alcohol or you know mm-hmm. maybe abusive behavior or whatever. Helping them understand what age they were, uh, maybe when they started feeling a certain thing, helping them understand what was going on in their family, helping them understand the need that wasn't filled, but letting them know that it wasn't personal will then help take place of what they're needing to fill through that addiction and help them overcome it. Yeah, it'll help exactly, because once they understand it, right? Because mm-hmm. when, when, once they understand, they can, they, they can do something about it. One of the biggest phrases that I, that, that I, don't, I don't support is the phrase when they say, why can't they just get over it? Or mm. they're adults, they should be able to move on. Right. Well, here's your perfect example. If we don't know what we're moving on from, then how are we going to move on? <laughs> That's exactly what I was just thinking. I mean, it's, it's yeah. just that... that huge part of it and the first step you know in anything is that recognizing step if you can't put a name on it if you can't identify it then you don't know what to let go of exactly. and so it's the recognizing and, and, that's, and that's where I come in. so, so uh, a couple uh, points I want to point out uh, say is this that awareness and understanding are two of the most critical points that I really focus on awareness and understanding of the situation okay you need those two things, and then we have to accept what happened. And not blame anybody. Just accept it. Wow, so the first step is awareness and understanding. Second step mm-hmm. is acceptance. Okay. Yeah. And then now, because you accept it, now we can start shifting. Okay. We can start shifting our beliefs. We can start shifting our attitudes. We can start shifting the way we see that situation for actually what it is as an, as an observation as opposed to a judgment and a criticism. Great. Well, powerful, powerful information. Uh, so... Tell us those steps one more time for people that are writing down. Step one. Okay, so awareness and understanding. Step two. And then we have acceptance. And step three. And then would that be like a value shift? Okay, a value shift. Right, the shift, the shift. Now that we have all this under sort of understanding about now, we can now we can start shifting into the new behavior that we that we desire. Good. So basically, we're doing what we want to do. Most people I know that are struggling with addictions or destructive behavior, they don't want to do it. But the payoff no. is greater than exactly. not wanting to do it. So now the payoff's not there anymore. So hey, you can do what you don't want, what you really want to do, which is not exactly. that behavior. Well, you know, great information, Michael. When we come back, would you be willing to share with us some of your success stories? Sure. Great. Absolutely. Uh, more with Michael Oden. We're going to hear some of his success stories, people that he's worked with that have struggled with addictions or destructive behavior, how he's helped them by using those steps he just explained, overcome childhood trauma to move beyond the destructive behavior and really create the lives they want. More with Michael Oden coming up next. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. You have a message. You want to share that message. You want it to be social, to go viral, and spread across the planet. But how do you get started? Tune in to Amplify, featuring host Ken Roshan. This show is here to help you take that message and channel it through the most effective marketing techniques to not only be successful, but have a positive impact on the world. Tune in live Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel and get amplified. 
If you want to join the ranks of the influencers, you've got to think like an influencer. How about joining one of the top influencers in the world, Leonard Kim, for Grow Your Influence Tree. Leonard and his guests discuss the topics that aspiring influencers need to know, from brand building to getting yourself published and growing your audience. There's a bunch of fun and even some twists involved to keep you on your toes. You just have to listen every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers Channel. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You're tuned in to Spotlight, the Allison H. Larson Show. To find out more about Allison and our program, please visit soulintuition.com. Again, that's soulintuition.com. Now back to Spotlight. Here is Allison H. Larson. Welcome back to Spotlight. I'm Allison H. Larson. If you're just joining us, we've got Michael Odin here, who is helping people overcome addictions by recognizing their childhood traumas, what needs were meant, helping fulfill them. And uh, Michael, I just got a, a type here on my live Facebook feed. It says, State of California Head Start Program and uh, March a Better You Expo. What's that all about? Ah, there it is. This this is an expo where they, they want to talk about the mentality of a fatherless child. That's the one in Long Beach. Yes. Okay, so and on break, for those of you who are listening, Michael is telling me he is doing more public speaking on this. He will be speaking at this March A Better You Expo in Long Beach in uh in march so you can you can head out there to hear him and if you want to book michael as a speaker uh, of course you can always contact me uh, i run the speakers coalition um, you can contact michael he'll give you his contact information at the end of the show uh, so that's that's a great thing michael um we wanted to get into some of your success stories these are one of my mm-hmm. favorite parts of the program is when i hear mm-hmm. how you're really helping other people so could you share with us a success story? Yeah, I'll give you two. I'll give you two short ones here. here this one was is, was peculiar because it was different. Because mm-hmm. here's a guy who was a meth who used meth for like nine years, and he was about to just lose it all. So I meet him. And he was angry with me because he was waiting in the lobby for two hours, and I said, "You know." So when you mean lose it all, you mean he's about to lose his freedom, his house, his family, all yeah, that. His freedom, okay. his house, and he was he was he was just he was just he was down. He was it was just like. He's at, he's at, his, at the bottom of the barrel. Okay. Okay? So he comes to me, and he waited two hours in the lobby. He was very upset with me. I said, listen, pal, I'm going to give you the best two hours. That two hours you just had out there waiting for me, we're going to make up for it right now. So the story goes like this. I said, when did you start using drugs? He said, I go, did you use drugs in your teens? No, in your 20s? No, in your 30s? He goes, yes, because that that's interesting. Okay, you didn't use it in your early years. I go, what happened? He goes, my wife died. Oh, I go, that's it. What do you mean that's it? That's why, you're, that's why you've been on meth in the last nine years. What do you mean? Well, you're in pain. And you have not, you know, acknowledged the pain. So we went over all the needs that he would never get from his wife. Oh, here's, by the way, his wife went for a, um, to get her tonsils removed, and she, and she died on the table. <gasps> wow, so he that's didn't even happened. know about it. And so, so this is a trauma. It didn't happen in his childhood. It happened in exactly. his 30s. It doesn't necessarily need to be a childhood trauma. It can be something that happens later in life. Exactly. Yeah, I would and say that's, that's usually, a pretty traumatic event. Right. And that comes, and the trauma that happens later in life, usually a death of a spouse, a divorce, or loss of a job. Those are the, those are the three big ones. Or death of a child. Okay. okay. So, he, so he, he didn't get us idea. Yeah, you, you did not come to terms with the death of your wife, and you didn't come to peace with it. So I said, and so I had to brought out my need sheet. I said, look at my needs and tell me what you're not going to get from your wife anymore. And I said, the whole sheet. I said, that's my point. You're not going to get love. You're not going to get affection. You're not going to get bonding with her. You're not going to get, you know, I, I had to be kind of hard on him because I, I had to get him to see the point. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no physical mm-hmm. affection. So basically yeah. the whole sheet is what applies to you, sir. And your nine years of methamphetamine in and out of jail is contributed to what you have not come to peace with. And he started crying. And he said, my God, that's it. I said, I know, you need to know that. So we came to peace with it. So what I said to him was this. I said, you need to write a letter to her, go to her grave and say goodbye. Because you haven't come to peace with your wife's death. So two sessions later, he did that. He said, Mr. He comes back. He said, Mr. Owen, I am so, I am so relieved and at peace with myself because you're right. I never said goodbye to my wife. I was hanging on to it. I said, I know. 
So now we can let her go, and now you can start living again. So as I was supervising him nine months later, he's, he's getting off my case, so he tested the plane throughout the whole time. He said to me, he said, you know, Mr. Oden, if you didn't do what you did to me, I would be dead. And I want to thank you for that. I said, you're welcome. Now go live your life and enjoy. And ever since, you know, and, and that was that story. Now, here's another story that, that was interesting that's, that, that, was, that was different. A man calls me, says his, his daughter's on a methamphetamine meth binge. He's running around doing crazy. I said, is she on probation? I go, no. Well, then bring her in anyway. I'll talk to her. How old was she? She was about 19. Okay. Yeah, 19 white females. So she comes in, he brings her in, and they, we sit down. I said, wow, so you were so, she, I don't know what to do. I don't know, what can we do with her? She's very upset. And here's what happened. Her mother used to leave her alone in the apartment for two or three days at a time. I mean, she was young, three or four years old, right? So, now that her mother got, has her stuff together, right, and is doing really well, I asked the daughter, what is it about your mother that disturbs you? And I, said, and I gave her the need sheet. So she'll go find the word that fits what you, what you don't, that fits the situation with your mother. And she points to the word trust. Oh, mm-hmm. trust. What is this about trust? I don't trust my mother will, I, I don't trust the fact that my mother will stay where she or keep doing well. I think mm-hmm. she's going to leave me like she did 10 years ago or when I was little. So she would sabotage the, the calmness and the peace they had in the house because she wasn't sure it was going to last forever. And I pointed it out to the mother. I said, mother, she, just, she doesn't trust you because of what you did in the past. So let her know that you have changed and that you will not abandon her like you did when she was two, three, four years old. It's a whole new world now. And, I, and she looked at her, she said that to him, and the daughter just kind of melted in the chair. That's all she ever wanted to hear. You know, that's a really interesting point. It makes me think as a parent, what do my kids need to hear? And if there are parents listening out there, they may think, you know, my child's struggling with something or I want to prevent them from struggling something. What is it that maybe they need to hear? Or what is it that happened? Or nobody's perfect. That's the thing. And sometimes when we do better as parents or we think we're making these big strides and our children are still behaving certain ways, I've often wondered, well, why are they still acting this way? You know, I made the changes they've requested. But maybe it's that they have some need that wasn't fulfilled at the time and they just need to know that that's going to be mm-hmm. fulfilled, that you're there for them. So as a parent, what do you do? How do you recognize those things in your children? And how do you ask those questions in a way to really help set you up for success? Well, you need to let them know. I always tell parents, kids are resilient. They're, they're, they're tough. They can handle it. So stop, so stop trying to be careful with them. You let them know the mistakes you made. You let them know the changes you made. But the changes you made, the child isn't used to yet. They don't trust the, that, the change yet. So over time, you're going to have to let them know or, or show them that you have changed. And a- acknowledge the fact that the new environment will stay here for a long period of time. It's not going anywhere. That's when the child has to get used to the new environment. So it's that more constant... people sabotage their peace because they're not, they're, they think it's going to go away anyway. So it's a constant reassurance, basically. Yeah, for uh, a period the, of time. They, they don't yeah. get used to it. It takes time. Yeah. Well, you know, that's that's interesting. And that still, for me as a parent, you know, I've strived to do better, but that's hard. It's hard to admit, hey, I've made a mistake. This is the struggle I've had. But, you know, I had an interesting experience with my own daughter uh, a couple years ago. She was struggling with some mm-hmm. things. And, um, you know, I, I made some, some choices that I'm not necessarily proud of. And I let her know what those choices were. It was so interesting because she, I remember she just started crying and she said, oh, my goodness, mom. I thought I was the only imperfect one in a perfect family. She says, I'm here to support you and, and I will love your support in my trials. And that was, that was a huge wake-up call to me. I think sometimes, because we all struggle with things, by letting yeah. our children know, or when I you know, went through that bout in my life where I thought my kids have to think I'm perfect, I actually did more damage than it did good because they, right. they thought, well, what's wrong with me? I'm not perfect exactly. like my mom. There <laughs> you know? we go. So yeah. very, very yeah. powerful. Yeah, and that's where the blame and shame and criticism come in. We make it up. The meaning-making machine we become. Blame, shame, and criticism—three uh, yeah. words that nope. I do not, do not, do not want in my life, uh, or right. or in my kids' life. So, yeah, yeah, start blaming ourselves and criticizing ourselves and mm-hmm. shaming ourselves for what 
you know, we believe uh, is, is, is not good stuff or good behavior or whatever. And, and we, that, but those three things I just mentioned, they're all made up in our head. Mm-hmm. Well, you know? really good information, not just for addictions, but for all kinds of destructive behavior. Now, Michael, you specifically work one-on-one with individuals to overcome addiction. If there's someone listening today and they, they said, you mm-hmm. know, I know somebody that's struggling with addiction or maybe I'm struggling with addiction. I'm ready to move on. Uh, what Michael's mm-hmm. saying really resonates with me. I want some more help with this. How, how might they work with you or get a hold of you? Well, they can get a hold of me if it was my website. It's michaeloden.com. And that's Michael Oden, O-D-E-N, correct? Yes, yes. And okay. michaelodenlive.com. And they can see so a, lot, a lot of the, I did a lot of um, speeches, and, and so I have a lot of um, videos, video uh, access and uh, YouTube seminars and things I've put up there that, that can relate to some of the things. That we talked about today. So, michaelodin.com or michaelodinlive.com. And uh, tell us the name of your book one more time and where we can get that. Okay, the name of the book is When Nobody's Home, and it's called Revealing and Healing the, Misses, the Missing Pieces of Childhood Trauma. And you can get that at Amazon. Okay, so you know the name of the book, you know how to get a hold of Michael. You know, the difference between a good radio show and a life-changing radio show, the difference between a good interview, a life-changing interview, it comes down to one word, and that's action. And that's up to you, and I'm talking to you, the listener. If there is something in the show today that has touched you, I would suggest writing down one action step, one thing that you're going to do differently. Maybe that's calling Michael and finding out more information. Maybe it's going to the website. Maybe it's getting the book. Maybe there's something you heard today in our program, and you thought, I want to do that differently. Well, start today. Don't just think about it. Act on it. And Michael, to close, I I wanted to bring up one other thing that you're trying to do. Now, you're trying to get your book into prisons and juvenile detention centers so that we can really start helping people that maybe have the most trauma in their life that have led to these. Uh, What do you need to be able to do that? Well, I need to to talk to the powers that be, uh, congressmen, Senators, uh, people who have have pulled in those areas where they can distribute that to those environments where ninety five percent of people in prisons and juvenile halls, you know, are are fatherless. You know, and I and, and my my knowing and belief and knowing is that once they read that they can they, maybe they, they may push a button to go wow that's me, and I'm not the bad kid and you never were, you just were the kid who never got what they wanted from the person they wanted to get it from. And that's the need. Well, how powerful would that be if we were able to bring that into the prisons, into the juvenile detention centers? So if you're listening and you have a connection, you know of any way, shape, or form that you can help Michael make that happen, uh, make sure and reach out to him. Michael, do you have a phone number or an email address on your website? Yeah, the phone number is uh, 310-612-7022. It's three one zero seven six one two seven zero two two, and the and the email is Michael at MichaelOden dot com. Michael at MichaelOden dot com. Great, and Michael, I want to leave you time to end with one final thought. If there's one takeaway you want everybody to get from the show today, what would that be? Takeaway: It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how many cars you have. It doesn't matter where you live. Remember this: We are all human, and as humans, we have experiences, and these experiences. Of, as to what people said to us, did to us, you know, and or didn't say to us, make up the human condition. And the condition you are in now can change if you wake up and find out what has been holding you back. So helping people wake up and find out what's holding them back. We've had special expert guest Michael Oden today. I'm Allison H. Larson. Join us next week on Spotlight for more guests that have worked to transform their lives and are now working to transform the lives of others. See you next week and happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thank you for making us a part of your week. Spotlight, the Allison H. Larson Show, can be heard live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Now, go make a difference and be sure to tune in again for the next show.